to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. We are going to be um, looking at um, the first sermon of two on family ministry, or uh, almost titled it Family Equipping. And so um, Family Equipping is one of the models, um, three major models for family ministry. And so um, in that, um, we're going to be looking at this idea today of restoring the main thing. Um, sorry, my, the clips broke here, and so I'm trying to uh, make sure that it gets held. Um, so the idea of restoring the main thing. And so um, the number one rule for life, and that comes from Deuteronomy 6, and then Jesus tags onto it um, in the Great Commandment. And so um, as I was growing up, um, we were a family that um, did not go to church. My three sisters are um, 12 years older than me, 14 years older, and 15 years older. So 12 years, 14, and 15 years older. They all grew up going to church. In fact, before small groups were small groups, my parents, they even had a small group. They would have the traditional, you know, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But then they even had stuff in their home. And so while the girls were growing up. And so then when I was born and stuff, uh, they, they, they left church later on. And I'll tell you why later, but... Um, uh, I kind of feel like Jamie doesn't agree, but I feel like, like you know, I just like I was so angelic that we just they I guess they just assume you know we didn't need it with this one you know and so that, that's my thinking. So um, what really happened was um, my dad um, was he was kind of radically saved and um, he had lived a pretty rough life and everything and then he was radically saved and then he he played music and stuff and so literally he wrote he probably has over two hundred uh, gospel songs uh, bluegrass gospel songs. And so growing up, when you walked into our house, the living room, you could see through into the kitchen, and then there was a, a, a bedroom back there that was actually, he turned into a, a sound studio, which it had mics and amps and guitars and um, sound recording equipment, all that. And so he wrote all these songs. And at one point, um, we, uh, I remember I was little, my sisters were out of the house, but um, they got a letter and it was just a big deal because this letter came in the mail. And uh, he, they opened it, and, and Dad's song that he had submitted to some recording thing in Nashville got into the top five or top three. And so the deal was, like, I think, I think it was Kenny Rogers was, it was some contest, and then, like, Kenny Rogers would sing that song. And so you had to submit the lyrics and then a recording of you doing the song to see how it flowed and everything. And so anyway, Dad, Dad submitted the song. Some, some of his friends talked him into doing it. And so he submitted it. And like they were just you know, really excited. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, this changes everything. Like we're, we could move to Country Club. So Country Club was one of the two nice neighborhoods in Salisaw. So they had upstairs in Country Club. There was houses that had two levels. So like literally stairs inside your house was a pretty big deal back then. And so like some of my friends had that. There was interestingly no golf course anywhere near what they called Country Club, but it was Country Club. Lots of houses had pools. Um, I just thought, man, this is changing everything. We had a, a, like, I don't know what year, but a brown Caprice Classic, four-door Caprice Classic, except the Caprice Classic on the front quarter panel um, had got wrecked, and so it had a blue, a baby blue quarter panel on this brown car. 
And so, like, man, it was just embarrassing driving up with a two, two-tone car. And I was like, man, we could, like, get an Oldsmobile. And that was Tesla for those days. Like, we could get, like, an Oldsmobile if Dad's song goes through. And the letter said, you know, you've been accepted, but also you're in the top five or whatever. But we're asking you to take out some of the parts that mention God in it. And so, you know, I'm like, oh, big deal. Hey, let's get the pool. And But my dad just immediately just, you know, reading it, and it wasn't even a discussion. It wasn't anything. He was just like, well, we're just done. You know, I'm, I'm not going to take out anything about God. And so he had like in some of the chorus or something, because it was a country and western song, and he wouldn't take out the parts about God. And I remember just thinking like, you're crazy, like for money or for, you know, whatever. And so it was just, you know, just a very given thing. And so even though we weren't a church family, and so his, his commitment you know, to, to God and my mom's commitment to God, um, they were they were just they just kind of lived it out. We didn't do family devotionals. We didn't do um, um, sitting around the table, um, open up the Bible. I do remember me and my dad one time went to a Revelation seminar at some church, and he he let me go with him. And it was all on end times. He loved the end times stuff. He loved uh, eschatology. And so, um, but we, we didn't go to church. And the reason for that was that when my dad was radically saved, he started playing music for the church, this Assembly of God church down in uh, Muldrow. And so um, then he was, I think he started teaching a Sunday school class, but then the pastor found out that my dad still had three to four cigarettes per day. So my dad was a butcher. And so the pastor came to him and said, hey, first of all, you're going to hell. Um, you're, you're not saved. You've lost your salvation. So, so remember, simply God, you, you win it one day, lose it halfway through, win it back, lose it, win it, that, that's fun. And so, um, but he told him, you're going to hell and, and we won't have a person like you in our church. And my dad had, for years, had tried all the things to quit smoking. And so he, he every morning you wake up, my dad would be in there, have a Bible open, reading and stuff, writing all these songs. Most guys would say, um, I remember when I was a young boy, the high school athletes that worked in the, the supermarket with him, they were like, man, your dad. He's the coolest guy. And I was like, my, he's not like a fireman or a you know, pilot or a cop or something like, or a coach. Or he, he's like, he's like just a butcher. And they're like, man, he's the most incredible guy. And, I, and he was older. He was like most, he was probably as old as most people's grandparents for me. And so uh, I just thought, man, what are they seeing about this guy? But he was, he was one of the most humble and Christ-like guys. He was real kind of quiet and gentle, but um, didn't take me to church. And we, we didn't have the family devotionals. We didn't have the, the, the times of worship. And even though he had had those songs in there, we did, that would have been easy, right? That's an that's easy one. Like you could fall backwards into that one. Like let's just come in here and sing a couple of these songs to Jesus. And so we could have done that. We didn't do any of those things um, because of you know, kind of getting ousted from the church. Um, and so um, all of those things I want you to, to remember. And so you, you don't get to choose all of those things. Maybe you grew up in a family like that. Maybe you grew up in a family that was going to church all the time. My point about all that is um, with all those things, this, all that we're doing is, is gathered around, centered on this God of mercy. You don't, you don't qualify your kids for this. So we're going we're gonna to talk for two weeks about here's this main important thing, and here's this thing that we must be doing, we should be doing, so, and next week, we're going to talk about a practical, workable plan, but just know that that doesn't equate to salvation. We're talking about a God of mercy who comes over after the ones who are the least deserving. Um, it's a God of mercy and, and a gospel of grace. So for, I, I, want, I want to 
put a press on you parents, or you, if you have children or you don't have children, uh, you're about to have children, that there is this responsibility for us. But just understand that Jamie and I sit down with lots and lots of couples and whether through Harbor Network or over the years in our missions bubble that we were in, these people that were missionaries and that were just some of the most godly, meek, incredible people that you're like, you, you really, you know, you look at those people and you're like, man, I want to copy everything that they did, uh, everything that they must be so godly. And you get to sit down with them and time after time after time, these people that you thought were just so elite spiritually. And hey, so tell us about your, your, your kids. And there's always kind of this awkward stare. You can tell they're, they're holding back some pain. If you got little kids right now, you, you're, you're not thinking about this. As your kids get a little bit older, or if people with grown kids um, that have this stare, and they have to kind of look at each other. And then, yeah, our oldest son, he, he's 33. He's in a different lifestyle. Um, our daughter, she's 28. She's uh, she's been suicidal. She's da 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 da. Our other daughter, she's 24. She's went from boyfriend to boyfriend to boyfriend to girlfriend to girlfriend to girlfriend to boyfriend to boyfriend. So, so yeah, and they kind of just look at each other and like we're praying, we're trusting. And so, so I say all that to say that's a reality. I could go off on a whole side point about yeah. We 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 proudly love our stances on sovereignty of God. As soon as your oldest or your kids get to a stage that they start making some of their own choices, it really tests how, how proud we are on our sovereignty of God. We become very weak, humbled, like just, just crying out in dependence. And so that we, we serve a God of, of mercy, and you're going to want mercy for your kids, along with you for your parenting. And you're, you're going to be thankful that it is a God and a gospel of grace, and it's not how good your kids are doing or how good you did as parenting. So we're going to lay out some stuff here that's heavy about you've you, you got to be doing this. But at the same time, um, it, it's like us putting a fire together. We're, we're, we're going and, and taking the time to gather the right things, the, the kindling, and you're putting all this dry wood, and you're, you're taking the time to go get these, these important logs, the important logs there. You can't cause fire. You can't cause fire in a kid's heart. That's a work of God. And so again, we, we, we say that we believe that, but boy, sometimes we're, we're rubbing sticks together. We're trying to do things. And so just, just know that this has to be a work of God doing this beautiful work. And it's a, it's a work of grace and mercy. And so some of you are going to cover every tiny detail and still you're going to have kids who may go astray as youth or even as adults. You'll have parents around you who, who do not give a rip who, who, who do not even try one of the hundred things that you're trying to do, they don't even do a hundred. They're just kind of like, oh, they're 13, they'll figure it out. Just give them more money and, and give them new, nicer things and they'll, they'll be fine. And, and that kid, like, they're the kid like driving themselves to church things, to passion conferences, to like in love with the Lord. And you're like, what's going on? You know, we've tried everything. So just know that that, that can happen. And as you begin to talk to different people, um, that, that, that's a common story for a lot of people. Um, and and you'll, you'll wonder, how did that kid turn out? We've got to be faithful with doing our responsibility, but just know the Lord, be pleading. It's his work of grace. Um, so I say that as a motivational reminder as we get into this. 
And, and this, for some of you who have never maybe started the processes, and we're going to talk about a, a workable plan, like actual things that you can do each week uh, in different, different days. Next week, we're going to have a, like a workable concrete steps on this idea of implementing this family equipping plan. Um, just know if you feel like, man, we really haven't done this. So this is a small crowd, but when I've spoken at other places and it's a bigger church, you've got people sitting out there like, oh my gosh, we've got an 18-year-old son, a 15-year-old son, a 13-year-old. We've never done this. So they've gone 18 years without intentional spiritual parenting, intentional spiritual discipleship in the home. And they, they, they feel shame. They feel guilt. They feel like they failed. Um, I've had a lot of parents come to me in tears saying, our kids are grown and out of the home. We didn't do any of those things. And, and so just, just like, so it shouldn't be a grace, it shouldn't be a, 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 a shameful thing. Some of those parents I told, man, I would just go and talk to them and say, hey man, some, we, we weren't taught those things in the church that we grew up when you were growing up. We were taught, you know, go to church, go to church, go to church. But we weren't really taught that in the home that mom and dad are supposed to be the primary disciple makers. And so for so church growth movement, lots of programs, it was the idea that the church, the pastor, he was discipling your kids, and we have these specialized roles of a youth pastor or a children's pastor, and they were doing that. Um, I've had lots of people say, hey, you know, we, we moved our, lots of parents have said, well, we, we, we sent our kids to Metro. We sent our kids to Victory. We sent our kids to Lincoln Christian because, because you know, that's, you know, parents, we, we don't know what we're doing, so they're, they're a Christian place. They'll, they'll raise our kids spiritually. We'll cover the rest. And just know that you don't get off the hook. You are going to have to answer for Christ that you are the primary disciple maker. Uh, for you youth and kids, there's going to come a point where um, as you get older, as you're experiencing autonomy and, and freedom and responsibility, which is a part of maturing, you're doubting and distrusting more of their thoughts because this idea comes in of, well, they, they just don't understand. Mom and dad just don't understand on this particular thing. And just know that, that they have loved you and done everything they could for, for, for your, your, best in, in, in your best in spiritual things and your best in all that they could provide for you. Um, but there is a natural thing in the sinful heart that wants autonomy and not having that authority. And so as you get to those ages, um, you have to think through that and be wise about that. And hopefully, parents, you step in and remind them that, I told you this day was coming. I told you you weren't going to trust this. I told you you were going to have doubts about that. And so um, just know it's an ongoing process of transformation through the Holy Spirit, like we've been looking at, and it's exposure to God's Word. But we want to be uh, faithful in that. So I want us today, the, walk, the one thing to walk away with is this one main thing in mind. As individuals, as families, as parents, as kids, as churches, this one main, number one rule, and it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So... Um, here, here's the three things that we're going to hit on. First of all, just this idea there is one main thing. And so we're going to see that from the Old Testament, and I'm just going to you know, uh, re, re, rehash what Jesus is bringing up. He, he confirms that same thing for, from the New Testament. Um, to right now in our lives, um, 2,000 years of church era, to, to a future time in all eternity, will that still be a goal, a number one rule, that all of eternity that we'll live by? That, that's a pretty big ask. That's a pretty big um, thing that could hold a lot of capacity. Will that be enough and be fulfilling and satisfying for 10 billion years into eternity? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Now, what, what kind of being can pull that off? If you want to think deep on that, what kind of being can go, I've got one gift for you that, that's going to fulfill and satisfy and bring all the meaning, not only in this little short life, whether 20 years or 70 years or whatever, but for all eternity, the gift is me. 
and you're never going to get bored. You're never going to get uh, bland with it. You're never going to feel un- unimpressed. And so loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is that main idea. Um, it's the reason that God himself exists and all of creation, even unliving inanimate objects, just that are, you know, whether that's creatures in heaven, whether that's um, rocks, the, 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 the trees, the grass, all of creation existing for the glory of God. And so that's the first thing, that there is one main thing. The second thing is we're going to look at prioritizing the main thing with intentionality. Um, so that if that is number one, then, then I better have an intentional plan to walk through with that. Third, we're going to see, um, let's recognize some idols that are competing for the main thing. Um, and so um, I want to challenge us to think through these alternative main things. And sometimes they, they creep up and we don't realize that they have crept up and misplaced or displaced the main thing. Some of these things are really good things, and they're really, really important things. But if they replace the number one thing, then we've got a problem. Um, so, and then next week we'll look, if we've settled that number one goal, then how do we prioritize that? Um, so, thinking through that, let's, let's look in Deuteronomy chapter 6 first. Um, I'm going to read the first four verses just because it kind of he, he's pretty firm on this and pretty clear on this. And then uh, the famous verses... Uh, that they that everyone and so just so you'll know, Jews, the Israelites, they memorize this whole section. They memorize the whole thing. Every boy and girl memorized the whole section and many, many more sections. But um, this was very clear. Like, oh, this this part stands out. And so they get to uh, chapter six there. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and rules that the Lord your God commanded Moses to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. So, so notice the, the generational thing, uh, this idea of loving and fearing the Lord, and it's going to be passed on from generation to generation, all of his statutes, all of his commandments. Let's go to Ezekiel 36 that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. I'm going to put my spirit, capital S, inside you, and you're going to be enabled to now walk in my statutes and desire to obey. I'm going to empower you to do that. Great commission. And teach and, and go and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Oh, and, and here's the primary one right here, to love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So all of that working together, and God says, this is central Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. Ezekiel 36, I'm going to help you be careful to do them. That it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. So here's verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. If you notice the the spellings there, the capital Lord, L-O-R-D, that's Yahweh. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So, Father, we come humbly admitting that we could not even keep this rule. We couldn't keep this commandment. We, we would fail a thousand times. Even in our good 
intentions and even in our uh, desire to please you, desire to obey you, Father, we wouldn't be able to do this. We might be able to keep up some um, actions or behaviors, but, but at a heart level to be in love with you uh, to this degree, um, we, we just would fail. And so I pray that you would help us, Father, to feel the weightiness of it, but also to remember that you are the one empowering and enabling, and you're the one who has grace for us when we do fail. And to remind us that it's not us saving our kids, it's not us saving ourselves, but it is you in a loving, loving, merciful, graceful pursuit of us. And so thank you that you've given us your word that shows us what you're like, that shows us your character, that shows us all of these attributes about you, your power, your sovereignty. But thank you that it's not left upon us to save our kids or our rules or or the commands that we do teach could not even save God, but that you sent your son Christ to die on the cross, that that is where mercy and grace flow from. And that we can always, always go to that, no matter how far we've strayed from that. Help us today as we go into this section. Let us appreciate and love your your beautiful picture of family here on earth that will be a, a shadow of us in your family for all eternity. In your name we pray, amen. So just hitting some high points of, of the verse there. Um, um, that, that hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one, that Yahweh, it, it, actually in the Hebrew, the that remember that word like yah, and so that yah is yah, like he is one. So all these other gods that are out there, no, this God is the one true God who is set apart. Um, Yahweh is Yahweh, and he is one God. Now, now a, a very weak understanding, a flimsy understanding of the Trinity at that point. They didn't understand Jesus, didn't understand Jesus the Son, didn't understand the Holy Spirit at this point, right? So this is Moses. Um, but it's a clear command emphasizing God is completely worthy of this kind uh, of worship. Um, and he's telling us this should be an ongoing, consistent training. It, it's life on life. It's giving them and showing them the commands and expectations of Scripture, but it's also in a loving relationship. So, so notice there, it, it's, it's about um, relationship. You shall love the Lord your God. It's a relational aspect. It's a loving God who has started that process. So it's a loving relationship inside the Trinity that now has overflowed to his people, to his creation. And so it's a relational aspect, first of all. It does have commands on it, but it's a loving relationship is the point. And so he says that with all these things, so as we look at that, it's consistently, it's repeatedly pointing to God as the most important thing. Um, so for us growing up, I started, you know, was going through seminary and the, little, the boys were little. And so learning that, um, as, as he says this, um, um, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Remember, so now the Holy Spirit's empowering you, reminding you of those things. You shall teach them diligently to your children. So think through. He's not talking to the church. He's not talking to a church organization. He's talking to parents. You shall teach them diligently to your children. So a lot of times we, we kind of put that part off to the, 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 the school, the private school, or the Sunday school class, or the youth group. He's not talking about those. At the same time, I want you to know, so in, in me saying that, the, the, one of the three models called the parent integrated 
says, yeah, see, that's not the role of a youth pastor, so don't ever have youth pastors. Don't ever don't have children's pastors. Don't ever have children's ministry. Don't ever, and so they're like, well, the Bible doesn't say you need a youth pastor. Well, the Bible doesn't say we need air conditioning or chairs either, but we still have those things. It's okay. And so just know that we're in the middle. Their parent equipping is not the parent integrated. Parent integrated says that it's wrong for us to have a youth group of any kind. It's wrong to have a youth pastor. We're not going that far. We're not putting all our hope in that. We're saying, hey, parents, that role, if we get to the point we have that role, that should be a supportive role for what you're doing. It should always be supportive. Um, and so I, and I did really, I've been in some places where I had to kind of help change that. That's difficult if a place is set up the other way, and now it's like kids go to this thing and have this you know, altar call experience, get baptized immediately, and here are the parents who have been working for six, eight, nine, 12 years. Like, and, and then like, oh, oh, you get a phone call or you know, they get back like, oh yeah, I got saved and they baptized me there. And you're like, oh, I, I would have loved to have seen that. It's been 14 years of us walking you through that process. And so getting into some people to say, hey, maybe the, the church role is more supportive in that dynamic and it's the parents role that's doing this. So this teaching them diligently, you need to feel the weight of that. Are you learning how to do that? Teaching them diligently. What does that look like? And so he goes in. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. So just normal conversation. So I call these things you're going to see next week. Um, this is family devotions, sitting around the table, um, bringing God's word into it. Family devotions are one, faith talk, like maybe one or two days a week um, where it's a, a little bit more set aside, um, where it's a, more than just a little family devotion, maybe three or four or five minutes. Maybe this one's 15 or 20 our boys feel like that ours turns into longer than 10, 15 minutes a lot of times. I don't know if they're accurate on that. But a lot of those things, uh, like faith talks, are an intentional time once a week at, besides church where it's kind of got a main theme, a lesson on something, maybe a character or attribute thing. And so a, a faith talk, a faith walk, where you're actually kind of getting out and it doesn't necessarily have to be a walk, but like going someplace with the intention of, hey, we're going to get them there. We'll get to this lake, show them all this beautiful stuff. Oh, hey, your heart loves all these things. Let's raise our gaze up and look at this beautiful God that provided all this. And so remember, I think it's last, not this summer here, but last summer, um, I always take the boys out when we're down in Florida. And, and I remember Jackson and I went out, and so it was dark. And I think I told you guys the story that we went out, and it was the beautiful sky and all this stuff. And so I said, hey, and I was just kind of sharing with him one of my favorite things is just let, let's close our eyes. We're standing on this thing right by the water, this little, little, little walkway across and I was like, so look up at the sky, and it's just one of those beautiful, crystal clear um, nights, and, and it's, it's so beautiful. And then I said, now let's close our eyes and just listen to that. So, and you know the power of those waves. You know how powerful the, the ocean is and everything. And so I'm doing that. I said, let's stand here for like 20 seconds in silence. And just hearing that, that roar, you know, that roar at night, that's all I did. We open our eyes, and Jackson's got tears. She's like, damn, I'm so sorry for... Um, Earlier today when I wasn't um, obeying, I wasn't listening to you guys. What just happened? I didn't go, hey, let's look at the stars, be silent, hear God's creation, and you should be convicted. Let me tell you what you've done wrong today. Do you see what God can do? Faith walks are just, just like little bit times to pause. 20, I didn't plan on that. I wasn't thinking, I hope my son's heart is broken over sin by him looking at the power of God's creation. I just, just went, hey, let's take some time and think how powerful and huge God is. And God melted his heart quickly. So little faith walks, be intentional. If you like riding bikes, you like jogging, you like um, playing, so just taking time to pause and do that. 
um, taking time to go, hey, this thing that we're enjoying right here, it's not everything. There's something much bigger, much greater. So those are like what I call faith walks, um, faith talks. Um, then also those family devotions. Um, the spontaneousness of this, um, you should talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way as you're going through. Their culture was obviously very, you know, they didn't have Tesla, so they were they were walking all the time. When you lie down, so being intentional. A lot of people are very intentional about when their kids lay down at night, having a little devotional or something that pray with them and all those things. Um, and I want you to think through. So think through. It's easy when they're under nine or under ten or under eleven. What's that like uh, when you got an eighteen-year-old son, a sixteen-year-old daughter? who maybe you're not the favorite anymore. Like, she likes her friends more. That, that, so, so now, you know, hey, hey, we're going to come in. Think through, how do you do that then? When, when you go to their door and it's come, kind of more like, oh, what? Um, I've loved, uh, yesterday was um, for um, the high school football team, 9th through 12th, um, um, coach here, they have this father and sons thing. And so um, I've told guys, I went to last year's, um, as the end of the year, the kind of the football uh, celebration thing when they, they really do this thing with the seniors. And so the guy gets up there in our face. Hey, I know when your son turns 14, 15, 16, doesn't want to look at you, doesn't want to talk to you. And some to a certain degree, you know, some kids are just happy-go-lucky. Some just have that, you know, I'm cooler than, I'm cooler than anyone. And so all those things. Um, and so don't stop going and pursuing your kid. When, when they don't want to listen to you, don't stop. Keep going. Keep going. At the time, you know, kids are going through different change stuff, and I go, I would go upstairs to the thing. I would get to the thing, and I, you guys know I'm, I'm like, I'm not like a real scared, fearful guy or anything. So I would get to the top of our stairs, and I just sometimes pause, just going like, they don't want to talk. They don't want, you know, they they're wanting to, you know, keep playing the game, and just and that that thing from the coaches here, just like, don't keep pursuing. Keep going in. When they don't want to talk to you about it, you have to press through awkwardness because their soul is worth it. Their soul is worth it. And so going, I mean, literally pausing, Ezekiel 36, Holy Spirit, I need help right now. I'm going to get the, what? You know, like, oh, okay. And they know, is, is this three minutes with dad? Or with dad, this may turn into 45 minutes, right? Like, and so you guys have the, you're like, same thing with sermons. And so, um, then literally just hearing that and seeing that, um, that's what I, I believe has to happen. And so that's what Deuteronomy 6 is saying here. Talk of them uh, when, when they walk, by the way, when, when you lie down at night, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So he, he's not, so we don't do that. You know, like thankfully some of our churches would probably want to do this. Like where is this little tassel hanging that they would do to show. And if you widen the tassel, then all of the rest of the people could see how spiritual you are. That's what the Pharisees began to do. The Pharisees had rules on how long that thing would be and how wide it would be and in, on their clothing. So that showed how good of a spiritual parent I was. They, they kept on and taking it further and further and further. The whole point is it should be central to you. It's the number one thing what we've just discussed there. So that was what he was trying to bring out there. Um, that's the idea. Um, Jesus, in the New Testament, he goes to the same thing. When he was asked, what's the great, greatest commandment in the law? Um, he said the same thing, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, hinge all the law and the prophets. So if you want to keep all the law and the prophets, you do this one perfectly and you've, you've kept all the Bible. Now, he, that, that wasn't like, now some of us may go like, I think I could do that. I think I could do that. I'm really good at this. He was, he was trying to crush you with the weight of you can't do that. You need a savior. 
you need righteousness outside of yourself, and you need forgiveness because you're breaking that, not being able to keep the law. James says if you've broken one of these commandments, you've broken all the commandments. Uh, Jesus, you know, like, hey, you think that you're not a murderer, but you've been angry, so same to us. Hey, you think that you think that you haven't uh, committed adultery? Hey, you've got lust in your heart over lots of things. Same to us. You've broken one, you've broke all of them. It should be crushing you a need for a savior and a righteousness outside of yourself. Aren't you thankful that I'm a God of mercy? That I'm a God who wants to enable you to do this? Because if you really believe this, this is the greatest thing for your family. So um, Jesus points out the same thing. He goes back to Deuteronomy 6. A few thousand years later, God hasn't changed his mind. Um, I could go into there's you know the Revelation 5, 9, and 7, 9. So if you wanted to take, let's take the end goal of you know, millions of people bowing down in worship before him and then and, and work backwards from that. If that's your destination, you better have a workable plan. My mom, when she got, uh, before we found out she had dementia, she would call us sometimes. I think it was, well, it was I'm, so, I'm sorry, it wasn't dementia. When she had brain cancer, it started out lung cancer and start, started affecting the brain. And um, so she would call sometimes and go, hey, Sankey, I'm trying to get to your house, but can you tell me how to get there? And I was just like, well, yeah, where are you at? And she's like, well, I don't know. I'm at a stoplight, and there's a tree over to my right. And so you're like, a stoplight with a tree over to your right. So if you're thinking destination-wise, if you don't know your starting point, it's really hard to give people directions, you know? And so, like, she would do that. Well, you know, three months later, we find out, like, she wasn't going crazy. She had, you know, brain cancer. And so um, if, you, if, you, if you know the destination, but you don't know where you're at, then you, you, no workable plan works. So you've got to know where you're at. As parents, you've got to know, are we doing these things? You also have to know your child. And so um, notice, you know, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Notice the different natures, though, that God's, uh, not natures, but the, the different types of characteristics that God brings out. Um, you've got to understand your children. You've got to understand your own heart in that. Um, so then if the goal, the number one goal of life is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's the overarching pursuit. Then the path is the gospel. So overarching rule, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. The path for that we know as revealed through the New Testament is now it's the gospel. The, good, the bad news would be this would crush you. You wouldn't be able to do this to love him that way. But the good news is now through Christ, you're forgiven of things, you're atoned for, and now he's enabling you through the Holy Spirit to live these things out. So don't let it crush you. So here's the deal. Um, we're stewards of the gospel and of their hearts. So as parents, your role is you're stewards of the gospel into their hearts. Um, so I want to remind you that, um, that that four points of the gospel. And so this is maybe an easy one that you just tuck away. I use this in sharing the gospel. It's just easy. So a holy God, um, so God, man, Christ response. So there's a holy God. Um, man is sinful. We've all sinned and fallen short. Christ is the answer to that. So, so what's your response? So God, man, Christ response. Any situation, any situation, they break the rule, they're hitting their brother, they're, they're lying to you, they're, they're um, being uh, bad in, in the home, treating their brothers and sisters. And so you can just go into a simple thing of, hey, hey, listen, instead of just stop, don't hit your brother. Don't do that. Don't do that. Do this instead. No, you can just simply think through that. God, man, Christ response. Hey, so listen, um, I see the action that you're doing. I see that. But let's look at deeper than that, the heart. What, what would cause you to be angry at your brother? Do you see the anger? And I've talked about, that's anger coming to your heart. They don't want to hear that. Do you, as an adult, like someone bringing this up to you? Hey, I see the way that you're doing. 
what does this show us about your heart? We don't like that. So of course they don't like it. But so you're just bringing up, God, that, that shows us that you've got anger in your heart. We know God's holy standard is opposite of that. Jesus wants to help you with that. So first of all, he can change you to where you're not so bad doing that all the time, but also he wants to forgive you and send mercy. And so what would you want to say about that? What would be something that you would want to naturally do? This has been brought out. So that's their response time. And so you can just do that in like little bitty conversations, bring out beyond just the, the, the keeping the list, but to go into the gospel. So constantly addressing the heart with the gospel not just stopping that behavior. So there's some great books on that. Shepherding a Child's Heart was a good one that come out. And there's several of those. Teach Them Diligently uh, by Priola and Shepherding. And Parenting by um, Tripp also. Um, and then uh, we even did the, uh, um, the, the couple. God, I can't remember. Um, but they're the ones who, you know, they, they said, hey, so when you've got like a three-month-old or four-month-old, lay the remote in front of them. And as they reach their little four-month-old handout, you slap that hand and teach them and so you're teaching them authority. So that's nuts, by the way. But, but at the time, we were like, okay, let's do it. That's why our kids are that way. Jamie did it. I didn't want to, guys. That's why our kids act the way they do. But no, so little they taught, you know, like, so, hey, you lay stuff in front of them to tempt them. Then when they do it, then you teach that little four-month-old, like, no, no, I'm the authority, and they will understand God's the authority, and Jesus saved them. And so like, that's not making the connection. So anyway, um, we even did some of those things uh, to train up a child, I think. And so um, there's all those different models. Some, so be able to read. You should be um, a little bit discerning because sometimes they'll give you like 20 lists to do. And you're like, well, crap, we're only doing two. And then you like swing way over here. And so just remember, Grace, if you're more bent and OCD and control and you like more and more lists, you probably need to read some books like um, Grace-Based Parenting and things like that. If you're the, the free-flowing, you know, range-free um, parenting, like, oh, I, I, we don't want to ever tell them no and crush their spirit and crush their self-esteem, you probably need to go and read some books on, on you know, like, hey, teach them diligently. Here's some things you need to address. Um, so having a plan but constantly, consistently, patiently going into awkward conversations that speak to the heart, not just, especially this, fight this, that your kids embarrassed you at a church setting. Your kid throws the fit, drops down the floor. You're at Walmart. Don't let them embarrassing you, you thinking that now people think I'm a bad parent. Um, don't let that be the motivating factor. That, that's pride. That's pride, pride of man, approval of man, fear of man. You, their heart is what you want to talk about. Sometimes there's been a lot of times that we've got judged because one of the kids did something and we you know, didn't do And so, but I'm taking them aside and get them out of the traffic and then to address the heart at another place. And I'm sure people thought, God, I guess the lynches just let their kid throw that fit. Did, he didn't spank him right there. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. And we would hear that later on and stuff. And he's like, I, I don't care what they think, but I can promise you we're going to have the talk. And sometimes you guys know, you're like, you're traveling, you're in a middle of a situation. You have to have the talk three or four hours later. Hey, when they get older, it's probably not right in front of, you know, a whole bunch of 10th graders for you to call out that behavior or a whole bunch of 8th graders to call like, hey, don't you do... No, that's not the time to do that, to embarrass them. Uh, but, but to go, tuck that away. It's the fun part of night from 9.30 to 10.30 or 11. And so um, constantly, consistently asking yourself, how do I help them think through Jesus' grace and provision on the front end when they're tempted? And then how do I help them understand grace and love and mercy and forgiveness on the back end? Is your home a safe place for mercy and grace and forgiveness? And a lot of times in some of our churches, our, the, the churches that are more doctrinal and solid, 
It's not a place where my expectation is they're going to fail a thousand times. When I say that to parents, they're just like, oh, you're, you, just, you don't care? You're just letting them do whatever? No, no, no. I'm telling them on the front end, here's the expectation. I know what I did. I know they're sinful. I'm expecting them to fall. I want them to fall and fail in sin. Not, not, that, not that I want them to sin. Don't mishear me. I expect that to happen because they're sinful so that I can show them how Jesus still loves them in grace and mercy right immediately to pick them up with that. Because that little fall is a little nick. When they're 22 and they've got lots of options at, at 18 or 22, man, I want them to remember, even if you blow it horrendously, this God's grace is bigger. If, if we don't do that, here's what, here's what happens. If we're not careful, what we communicate is our family, we don't do those things. We're, we're good Christians. And that sets them into a life of gutting it out on their own strength learning how to hide stuff, and they never experience mercy and grace. And some of you are probably going, no, that, that's my childhood. That was it. Just learned how to hide stuff. And we never learned to walk in mercy and grace. And we never, never really learned how to go to Jesus before the temptation, like I'm being tempted, but, hey, there's grace and mercy. I don't have to even fall into that. I don't have to go, go and sin and then have to ask forgiveness afterwards. Like I, there's grace on the front end. Um. So Christianity becomes this fake little bubble that they know that they can't live it out, but they keep feeling like it's up to them to pull it off. And then that's suffocating and exhausting. It's the furthest thing from enjoyable Christianity or enjoying God because he's always just disgusted at you and just, just sick of you. And so that's what we set them up for if, if only perfection is the right thing. And so like, hey, I completely understand why you did that. So think through that. What are the goals that you have for your children? Um, consider that that number one rule, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, number two thing is that prioritize the main thing with intentionality. Um, if you do believe this is the number one priority, if the Holy Spirit gave you a conviction, that's the main thing, the most important thing, then we need to see if what we're currently doing is guided and forming us in that direction. So a lot of leadership books, a lot of things are... Um, Many people, many churches would say, hey, you need to prioritize your schedule. I would say that, that's good, so prioritize your schedule. But also, if we're going to say this is the number one priority, you need to schedule your priorities. So in parenting, in this, if this is the number one rule for kids, then we have a lot of busy things. And when you're little, when they're little, it, you may think it's busy. As they get older and have to travel further and all other things you want, now how do you schedule the priority of God himself as the thing to live for? How, how do you schedule him as a priority for them? So um, things to consider in that, this this idea of this the gospel on display, and I may have a slide, I don't know if I have the slide up there, it, it's a... Uh, First of all, consider this your marriage. Your marriage either puts the worth of Jesus on display or it denies and discredits it. So first, most, most, most important, it's number one, God's most important thing. And then here's how I treat my wife. Here's how she treats me. And they're going, you're telling us God's important. You're telling us that we're supposed to be this, but I see clearly your marriage. I see the way y'all treat each other, the way you treat other people. Ephesians 6, Ephesians 5, saying clearly the gospel is, is on display in your marriage. Is it supporting the idea of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Um, does your marriage paint a picture of the gospel? Or does your marriage portray fighting, selfishness, anger? And now you just add it on, but we keep our Christian rules. We'll be at church. 
And so that happens, guys. We've been in church where that, that's the thing. Also, life pursuits. Um, enjoy the creation, but don't worship idols. So teaching kids, like, hey, enjoy this thing that God's given us, this good gift, but don't, don't turn it into an idol. Um, that's very difficult because um, uh, there's a lot of things that can, that can take over there. Um, that fits in with the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me, number one. You shall not bow down or worship other idols. That, that supports this idea of, of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, and these things are caught more than taught. Your kids are going to pick up on what you watch. Um, they're going to watch you, and they're going to see clearly what you love as the first priority. Your kids are going to see you repeatedly bowing down in worship to something. And they're going to hear you saying Jesus and God is the most important thing, and that yet they're going to see you spending all this time, strategy, planning, thinking, pursuing these other things. And they're smart enough to know at some point where that's the deal. That's really what you're living for. Even though you tell them God is most important, even though though you tell them God is number one, you're spending time consumed by pursuing other things. So, so your life pursuits. Enjoy the creation, but don't worship idols. Um, prioritize the main thing with intentionality. We're going to spend the next two weeks uh, looking at that practical plan, that workable plan of that. Um, but as you're having a, a busy life, as your kids get older, so maybe you're having family devotions that we'll talk about next week, weekly faith talks, spontaneous God moments, family worship times, uh, church things that's going on. If your kids are, kids are even involved in one thing extracurricular from your schooling, even just one thing, um, sports, arts, dance, uh, academic club, anything at all, um, as they get older, it's going to be more costly, more time-consuming, and no more of the, oh, hey, we got one night a week where we have a one-hour practice. Oh, that, that's manageable because you're taking that one kid one hour, one night a week. So as they get older, unless you want to do the thing like we're doing a bubble, we're removing ourselves, your kids don't get to partake in any of that stuff. Um, so if they are, and especially if they end up being pretty good at something and then they're really passionate about it, then you're like, hey, how are we going to do that? Now how are you going to be intentional with putting him first when just natural time, all that's left is they're, they're, they have time going to other things. So you, you must get creative prioritizing the main thing with intentionality. Um, the, the former days of, you know, uh, Monday through Friday, maybe you're having these uh, devotional times, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then maybe Thursday night you're having a faith talk. What does that look like from 5 to 10 when you've got four kids going in four different directions? And as two parents, you can barely even cover it. And so what does that look like now? Again, you, you may go, hey, we're just going to isolate and separate, and we just will not allow that. I, I wouldn't suggest that. You don't want to know what that picture looks like later on. But you've got to get creative. You're still prioritizing faithfulness. You're still prioritizing intentionality, but having to be more intentional. So everyone's exhausted, and it's 930, and now you're remembering that, that email that you got about what they did at school, or, or you saw them talking to their brother a certain way, and you want to go in and address the heart about not just the, what he was saying to his brother, but wh- what's going on in your heart that, that you feel like that's okay. And you're wore out, and you, you don't want to do that. And so that, that, we'll talk about individual spiritual plans, ISP, going beyond those family devotions even. Um, this, um, 
this next week even for us. So the last two weeks, it's probably two of the 52 hardest weeks for us because as Jamie's gearing up, the boys are gearing up, sports just gearing up. Then she's up here at school. She's getting her room ready. Um, add to it, our one vehicle broke down. And so then it was dropping them off here at 645, coming back to pick up two at 1130. Sankey's out at 330. Then Jamie's out at four. And then then we have uh, we have scrimmage, we have games, and then we have practice. And so then this week, like so Monday night, so Monday is Sankey's birthday, but it's also Owen's first scrimmage. Wednesday is Jack's birthday, but it's also first night of small groups back on. So Monday, Tuesday, Thursday is practices. And so for us, this is just a, a crazy scenario. We, and then Friday night games, Saturday games. And so in all of that stuff, so how do you, when people wore out at nine o'clock, how do we do that? And so we've had people like, well, and that's why we don't want to live a crazy week. See, that just seems too chaotic and we won't do that. that that's your option. But when we're doing this, we, we believe that, that God has allowed and blessed us with some of those opportunities. We see that as an incredible blessing. Those are some of the greatest times and funnest times that we had. And so we tried to, uh, with all of them, hey, is it, is it something that artistic? Is it something music? Is it something sports? Is it something academic? And then when they kind of get into the areas that they really want to go, then you, you really got to think through um, how, do we, how do we do this in a way where we're maintaining that God is the number one most important thing. And don't judge other people when they do their, their thing. You don't, you don't look at them. I will suggest, as your kids get into 8, 9, 10, I, I would not suggest trying to have them in you know, baseball on Monday night and soccer on Tuesday night and karate on Wednesday night and academic club on Thursday night. Like, it's just, you know, if you're having that feeling that um, our kids aren't going to make it if they're not the top 1% in all seven categories, you, you, you need to look at you are God in that. You are completely God in that. There is no God in that universe that you're thinking through. There is no trust in him. It is if we don't do all these things and keep up the, 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 his stance, then that's just a horrible picture of God. And so that leads us into that idea of that third, recognizing the idols. And I got a slide on that. Of just So let's think through. First of all, just that, 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 that foolish blind thing that we may do, just I want to impress people. I want to live through my kids vicariously, impress people. So that could be through their morals, through their academic ability, um, education, athletics, arts. Maybe it's an ability that you as a, par a parent, I see this all the time. Like I'll talk to guys and they're, they're like pushing their son so hard. He's got to do more and more and it's never enough and never. And I'm like, God, like, were you like NFL or something or NBA? Like, no, I, I stunk in all sports, but man, now he's got a chance. And he's like, oh, you're trying to live. He's living at what you always dreamed of, and you're a 45-year-old man still acting like a 13-year-old insecure kid at the, at the uh, you know, uh, cafeteria table. Like you're wanting to be this, and you're wanting to live through this kid, and so you're driving him crazy because you wanted to be that. Like, that's nuts. And so all those things, they're impressive idols. They're really, really good idols. They're culturally celebrated idols. Man, you must be brilliant as a parent. You must be so spiritual as a parent, you must be such good parents. Feels good, all those things. Idols are powerful, they feel amazing, and they're promising you something that's gonna satisfy. And, and, and it's also the air you breathe as parents. You get around, so I'm around people and the, and the conversation goes to, well, we're looking at this school and this school and this school because you know it's this and this and this. And so you're like, man, and we're doing all these things because academically, he has to, she has to, Athletic-wise, well, we're having this and this and this because athletic, he has to. So all those things. Um, let, let's flip it. Let's take 
let's take one education because it's really, really important. So hear me, I am not, not, not anti-education. So I've, I've got enough hours and degrees to have two PhDs. So I'm, I'm high into education, love education. Some of my most thrilling times was 10 years at Southern. So I love education, not bashing it. Let, let's flip it though. Let's use it as a, a story. Education is something our culture seems to prize and treasure. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, you cannot educate your children at all. Monday, Tuesday, Monday through Saturday, you cannot talk of education. You cannot have anything that educates them at all. No sitting down, no learning of anything like that, right? No education at all, Monday through Saturday. Merely movies, playtime, like kind of all-day recess. There's no school, no homeschooling, nothing like that. But then on Sunday morning, for 30 minutes or maybe one hour, for one hour, we tell them education is the most important thing in life. What do you think they're getting? What do you think they're walking away with? Oh, it's not really that important. Education is not that important. And do you see how we do that with God? If we're not doing that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, with God being the most important thing, and but we tell them like, hey, for this 30 minutes, you better be dressed up and you better show up. It's the most important thing in life. They get like 12 or 13, they're like, it doesn't seem like it's the most important because at home, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we're, it, we're not living as he's the most important thing. And we're surrounded by a culture that allows that and says, that's the norm. And kids get it, that he's not the most important thing. Add to it my concern with just click on Sunday morning worship services, like you set the laptop up, mom's fixing, fixing pancakes, I'm cleaning my golf clubs, push play, kids walking in and out of the living room. And so I know we're, we're a completely different group in that, so it's not probably addressing us, but that's a huge concern. What are those kids learning? He, he's maybe 99th or 100th. And so, um, so think through that. Um, all those things can be very scary idols. Um, so I hope that you see the number one rule Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That, that's, that's something that you can, that answers a lot of questions. So for us, thinking through that as the boys, hey, so here comes a girl into their life. Hey, so ah, she seems nice. She's, she seems nice. She seems cute. Um, let, let's talk about that number one rule. That might answer some questions about that girl. They get off to college. They, they do making decisions for college or for carnival, whatever they're going to do. So I, I don't know. You're kind of geared this way. You're wired this way. Here, just think through the way that you're wired and everything, the way God uniquely crafted you. Is that going to further glorify God? And is that a way that you could live that out, doing that, pursuing that thing that would allow for loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or is that something that might lead you to a ledge or a cliff where you could fall off? And it'd be the furthest thing from loving the Lord your God. So if you put that up there as that number one thing, you can use that as a filter for a lot of other questions with your kids. I would suggest throwing in there great commission or is there relational discipleship involved with that? So um, as we think about that next week, we're going to look at some of the practicals. But I hope that you can see number one rule, but then also we're going to have to learn to prioritize the main thing with intentionality and then also recognize those competing idols. So um, let's go to the Lord's Supper after I pray. Um, but I want you to think through that. Um, there's going to be a lot of things next week that we'll talk about in that, um, uh, kind of a workable plan that you can choose from, and then lots and lots of books that you could use as resources. So let me pray, and then we'll enter in the Lord's Supper. Father, we do thank you for your love for us. All that we talked about, um, you're invisible. Sometimes you seem distant. Sometimes you seem like you're out there with folded arms in our lives. We're, we're just kind of managing our lives. And yet your word says that that's different, that, that, that you are, um, through the Spirit, 
present with us that this does matter more importantly than what we're about to eat, more importantly than, than, than the education and the academics we're going to do this week, more important than the jobs that we provide. Those are all tangible, real, more important than the entertainment that we're going to love and worship, more important than all of the, even the, the relational things we're going through, that you are the most important thing. And we confess to you that, that, that you are not that for us sometimes. So we ask for your mercy and grace in that. Would you forgive us for, for allowing other things to creep up as most important? We, we ask for you to help us to keep that um, as the, the number one most important thing. Learning what that looks like. An ongoing process. And we ask your spirit to help us, enable us to do that. Um, we need help in that. We're surrounded by worshipers. And we all have hearts that want to worship something. And so would you allow us to, to find our satisfaction in you in that? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.